What he said is not true at all. Um, and I'll get to the story here in a second. But speaking presents a lot of challenges. And one of the challenges is I got married just over a year ago. And I had to fit in my suit. It was, that was a lot harder than you'd think. I'm definitely not cool enough to preach in jeans like some of these guys around here. So um, I decided to use a handheld because I spoke one other time and I used that one on your ear. And one of, the, one of the worst things in the world, and Josh made me do it, was you're, you're supposed to go back and listen to yourself. Talk. I mean, it's, it, it's atrocious to sit there and listen to yourself talk. You hate every second of it. And then I guess that microphone, I was like breathing weird. I sounded like Darth Vader preaching. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? We're just going to go the old-fashioned way today. So Monday morning, uh, you heard my parents were um, going on a trip. And I took them to the airport. So as we're driving in the car, my mom says, well, Dan, who's going to speak this week? And he said, oh, well, Shaler's going to do it. And most mothers, you know, probably would tell you, oh, honey, you're just going to do great. <laughs> you know what? I believe in you. You just pray, and the Lord's just going to speak through you. And my mom says, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Are you serious? Is this a joke? <laughs> and my dad said, no, no, he's really speaking. Shaler, no, listen. Don't tell them anything about us. <laughs> she goes, she, then she goes, in fact, you know what? Just stand up there and pretend like you don't know us. <laughs> so that's what, I'm, that's what I'm supposed to do. So I'm just, you know, I don't know them. Uh, just up here as a random guy. But it did remind me of one other time. <laughs> that I had to pretend like I didn't know them. Just... Real quick, and then we'll actually get into what I came here to say, but several of you have asked for a story. Last time I told you, uh, when my mom sent me to school with the chicken pox in eighth grade. Um, but this time, so it was, my first, uh, it was my first spring training back when I was in baseball, and I was in uh, spring training camp with the Los Angeles Angels out in Tempe. So my parents love the Phoenix area. They decided that they were going to come out for a visit. And... So we go, and uh... hey, at least I'm not telling them the Vegas story. <laughs> so, so it's my first spring training. I'm with the Angels, and uh, my parents decide to come out for a visit. They fly, and you know, spring training most of the times they're they're day games. Uh, so we fly. My parents decided to fly out one morning. And they were just going to meet me at the game. They were going to, you know, fly in, uh, rent the car, and then just come in the afternoon and meet at the game. And then we'd probably go to dinner or whatever. So I pull into uh, the parking lot that day right by the locker room, which is where, you know, players and officials and all that park, the, the gated parking area. And I tell the parking lot attendant, hey, a couple of my old roommates are going to come to the game today. And I just, would, is, it, is it okay if they park here? And the guy's like, yeah, sure. What's their names? Give them their names. No problem. So they show up in the eighth inning, finally. <laughs> and uh, we finish the game. We go in and shower, and I'm getting ready. 
And a couple of the guys that I, you know, was working with were like, hey, so I told them, hey, I'm not going to ride back with you guys. My parents are supposed to meet me here, and I think we're just going to go out to dinner. So we walk out. You know, we, it kind of takes a while because we walk out. There's two cars left in that little parking lot. One of them was the crew car that the angels had rented us that my, me and my friends were driving back. The other car was the piece of filth my mom rented with a coupon that was all dinged up. <laughs> and not only that, she had the windows rolled down and she was laying down and her feet are hanging outside of the car. And so we walk out and, you know, of course the guys are like... Pfft. I guess they're letting the fans park in here now. I'm like, I guess, yeah, that's ridiculous. So I stand there, and I pull out my phone to fake text. And so, you know, the guys are like, well, aren't you, where's your parents? I said, I pull out my phone. I said, oh, you, hey, you know what? They just sent me a text. They said they went to go get some gas. And... And they're going to be right back. So you guys, hey, you guys go on. I'll catch up with you all at the hotel later. See you later. And, you know, they're like, all right. So they finally, I just stand there right by the door. And, of course, my dad's over there waving at us. And I'm like, <laughs> stop it. So my friends drive off. I finally walk over there. I get in the car. And I'm just like, you know what? I raised you all better than this. I mean, here I get y'all special parking, you come into the game, and you, you're going to just lay there with your feet hanging out the window? I mean, big leaguers are here. I mean, I know I cared way too much about what people thought of me. It was my first, my first spring training, so really caring about peer pressure and stuff. But anyway, so there's always, a, if you ever go on a trip with the Smiths, there's always a story. All right, let me pray, and then... Uh, Then we'll get going. Well, Father, I um, ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. And just I ask that your Holy Spirit would um, illuminate our minds and penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the ministry, so I became a pastor, and once you do that, you get licensed, and which means you can marry and bury people. So the ministry that licensed me is actually a, a baseball ministry. It's kind of like a, a baseball chapel thing. And every year, um, there's, a, there's a men's retreat out in Arizona where a bunch of Christian baseball players go to, and it's a really great time. And so I go every year, uh, or try to go just about every year. And you get in there and, you know, do some Bible studies and hang out and do all that stuff. Well, at one point in the retreat, a couple of years ago, they broke up into small groups. And so they, they divided the small groups kind of on what life stage you were in. So I was in the retiree small group because I know this is no longer my active pr profession. I was in the retiree group. And that afternoon was a really fascinating day because here you have um, a lot of former big league players, you know, made $25, $30 million a year, and as you kind of get in and get going, at one point in our discussion, many of them 
begin to break down and, and start crying because they had placed their identity in what they had done and the fact that they were baseball players. And so they'd grown up their entire lives with Little League All-Stars, played on the high school team. Uh, a lot of them got um, scholarships to college or just got drafted straight out of high school. And, and, and so then they'd been Major League Baseball players. And so like literally for their entire lives, all that they had ever known was how to be a baseball player. Their wives married a baseball player. Their kid's dad was a baseball player. And so as we went through this small group and, and we were kind of talking about life after baseball, many of them uh, were, were sitting there f facing for the first time in a real way that, that they weren't that anymore and that had been removed from them. And as you guys know, when you place your identity in anything that's not eternal, whether it's a relationship, boy, girl, job, whatever, someday that's going to that's gonna be taken away from you. It's going to end. And you have to place your identity in something or someone eternal. So, so then there was this one guy there, and I had come up with him in, in the minor leagues. And he, he was kind of different than everybody else in that group. And uh, when we came up, he was a catcher. He was about the most negative guy you've ever met in your entire life. I mean, he was like he was like Eeyore on steroids. I mean, he probably really was on steroids. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But he would come out for the game, and you'd be like, hey, man, what's going on? And he, he would literally, every time you'd have him, he would catch. He goes, nothing. You know what? I hate this town. I hate this team. I hate these fans. And I just want this game to get over with so I can go drink a six-pack in my room and pass out every day. And you're just like, all right, well, I'm going to be back here and try to catch it. Don't let it hit me. Kind of killed the conversation. <laughs> it was kind of funny, though, because he, he didn't really like any of the pitchers, so he would go out there and, and, you know, the pitcher would disagree with him, and then he would come back and he'd say, hey, I want you to ball this next pitch right here. It's going to be a fastball right down the middle, but he needs to learn never to shake me off again. <laughs> hey, listen, whatever. I'm fine with that. So, so we're in this small group. Same dude I think he had a cup of coffee uh, in the big leagues. He went up for a couple games on a Sunday afternoon to, like, catch for, you know, fill in for a catcher or whatever. We get to this group, and this guy was different. He was, like, he smiled. And I was like, I've never seen you smile before. He was happy. And so he had, he had given his life to Christ, and not only had he given his life to Christ, but like the transformation that it, that you could was completely evident in his life was was huge. I mean, he he like we roomed together actually, or it was in the same common area, and we would stay up and we would talk at night, and he would he would just tell me about his encounter with the Lord and what that had actually done for him. And and many of the guys that weekend would talk about how the Lord had blessed them with you know hundred million dollar contracts, which I know is just pocket changed us here at Bethesda, and but. And, and then this guy, he said, you know how the Lord blessed me? I got released. And I didn't get any money. And because, in fact, if he's like, if I would have got all that money, I think it would have destroyed my life. Um, and then I, I met Jesus, and, and everything changed. And so this morning, all I, which time is it? Okay, plenty of time. I just kind of 
want to talk to, to you guys and myself about that kind of transformation, about that kind of um, spiritual change. I mean, I, I know that many of us, as we get in our walks with the Lord, you can get to a place where it, you kind of feel like you stagnate. You kind of feel like, you know, you haven't really grown. And, and I know the fruit of the Spirit and spiritual maturity and, and all that stuff is a painfully slower process than, than any of us want to admit. But I think that there are four things that if you not just do them once, but make them an active part of your life, a continuous thing in your life. If you can continually do these, I mean, this is just what I got. I'm not saying this is the only four things or, or that there's nothing else, but this is just kind of what I've learned. If you can make these four things an active and a continual part of your life, I, I think it will set us up to continue to be formed into the image of Christ. So um, I want to read out of Romans 7, um, 18 through 20. And before I read, let me just tell you, I'm, a, I'm kind of ornery. I played a few practice, so I'm the youth pastor here, in case you didn't get that. There's several kids in our youth group that I told them we we're going to have to come up and read scriptures this morning. And they're not going to, so if you're just sitting there sweating, no, I'm not going to make you do that. <laughs> so, but not only did I tell them that they were going to have to read scriptures, I sent them a bunch of old genealogies in the Old Testament with names that are really hard to pronounce. <laughs> so I was like, look, man, I've got to speak. I'm going to be sitting up there sweating. I mean, it's good. If you never sweat through church before, it's not going to kill you. It'll be good for you. But you're off the hook. You're not going to have to come up and read anything. I just kind of wanted to mess with some of you guys that I really like. Uh, do you put it up on the screen? Seven? All right. So these are the words of Paul. Um, I think everybody's probably pretty familiar with this passage of Scripture, but it's just a very honest one. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. All right, pretty honest, uh, pretty honest passage of scripture, and I think that I think that if all of us are honest with ourselves, we can relate. I think everybody that has a pulse in this room knows what it's like to want to do something and not have the strength to do it, and then vice versa. So when it comes to being transformed into the image of Christ, being transformed into, into his likeness, um, I think, like I said, there's four things we, we just need to continue to do. One's pretty basic. First one is admit that sin is still a problem. I think that we live in a day and age and in a culture where we want to try to ignore it and we want to try and brush it under the rug or dismiss it. And one of the things that, that Paul said in that, in that passage was uh, 
it lives inside of me. It dwells in him. It's not coming from the outside. It's actually inside of him, and it's, and it's in him explicitly. So how, how do you navigate and trans, transform through that and, and, and let that diminish? Well, admit that it's still a problem. Let me look at uh, Genesis 4, 6, and 7. This is a, kind of a, a bone-chilling verse for me because these are actually the words of God. So then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin, and I want you to pay attention to this, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must, but you must rule over it. So this reminds me, sin is crouching at your door. Last week, I took my wife for her birthday to New York. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're like, wait, wait, hold on. You took, for her just a birthday trip, you took your wife to New York City. Man, we paying youth pastor too much. Now, no, 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 hold on just a second. We used travel rewards, we travel hacked it, and we did the whole thing for nearly nothing. So we ain't paying youth pastor too much, just relax. So we ain't going and dropping bills when we shouldn't. So, but one of the things that we did is we went to the Central Park Zoo. And I'd never been there before, been to New York many times, worked there many times. Um, never been to the zoo, and I kind of wanted to do it. Natalie is an animal lover. And it's kind of cool because it's a very small zoo, and it, you, you know, you could probably do it in an hour. But, uh, but I, I noticed they had some really unique animals there that you're just not going to see at your normal zoos. And one of them was a snow leopard. I'd never seen a snow leopard before in my life. And it reminded me of this verse because when we went to see it, there were two of them in this exhibit. They were hiding from us. They, they, when you would walk up there, they were, they were off in the bushes and, and actually it was the guy that visits the zoo all the time. He would have to tell us, oh yeah, they go and hide over here. And so you'd kind of have to look and try, try to be able to look through some trees and, and be able to see them. And when I look at this verse and it says sin is crouching at your door, it reminded me, it reminded me of that snow leopard because the snow leopard was hiding from us. And it, I think that, you know, sin always wants to hide itself from you. I mean, I think sometimes we generally kind of know, you know, some of the main things that we struggle with or whatever, but... But I think it's very easy to not look for it, to, not, to go through life and to not be trying to identify, not be trying to look through the trees and find where those hidden areas of your heart are, where, where it's crouching, where it's hiding from you, and, and just start to dismiss it. So, you know, for example, you, you say things like, you know what, I'm not irritable, I just have high standards. And you just start dismissing things. I'm not... Uh, ruthless. I'm just a savvy business person. I'm not stingy. I just am prudent. And, and, and it starts becoming hidden. And then the other thing, when I look at that verse, is crouching at your door. When, when it says crouching, I, it's like it's hiding from you. But then I think it's like God is comparing sin to a predator. Something that is wanting to come out and attack you and destroy you. And it it reminds me, there's an old book 
written by a Puritan named John Owen. It's called The Mortification of Sin. Probably some of you guys have read it. And there's a famous quote in there. And it says this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And I think the first thing is just to remind yourself of that. If you're going through life and not identifying that and not admitting that it's still a problem, um, I don't think you'll get that spiritual transformation that you're hoping for. Now, I know some of you guys are like, man, I'm glad. It's good, Pastor. You pastor talking about sin. We need that. Yep. All them sinnies out there, every, all those messed up people, I'm glad you're just attacking that. And there's a famous phrase that I think most of us know, and it says, love the sinner, hate the sin. I've got a friend. Because I think, you know, when we start talking about sin, you start identifying all the sin in everybody else's life. And that's not the point of this. It's to admit it and identify it in your own life and start looking for how you're going to change that. So I've got this friend uh, who, who takes that quote. And I'm not saying it's completely theologically correct. I don't really know. But it just got, it'll just get you thinking. He says, love the sinner, hate your sin. And I was like, huh. And it just kind of puts everything back on me. Let me identify everything that's going on in, in my life. So, love the sinner, hate your sin. So, admit that it's still a problem. Uh, here's the second thing that you need to, I think, continue to walk in. Many times when we get in trouble, um, we hate the consequences. Hate them. So I've got this friend that I traveled with um, back about 10 years ago. Him and his wife were in a relationship that was kind of on the rocks. And, you know, when you travel with somebody and you share, sometimes have to share hotel rooms, you, you get to know people. And so we would talk about, I mean, he would talk about some of that stuff to me. And, and he, was not, uh, he was not physically abusive by any means, but but he was definitely verbally abusive. And, you know, I'm sitting in the car, I got to hear some of it. And so one day his wife left him. And so we were, you know, he found that out. We were traveling, I think, I don't know, maybe in Minnesota or something. And, uh, and he broke down and he started losing it and he started weeping. And, you know, he came to me and he said, told me that she, she was gone, that she was gonna leave him. And, you know, I was like 23 years old. I didn't know anything. Um, it's not like now. I'm 33 years old, been married for a year, and ready to do marriage conferences. Figured it all out. <laughs> Everybody said your first year of marriage is going to be so hard. I don't know what you guys are talking about. It's been great. <laughs> so um, it, it has. But. So, uh, so I was like, well, man, I think that I think you need to go make it right. I think you need to apologize. So he ends up apologizing. And they, you know, go through some counseling or whatever. And he's like, I swear I'm going to clean it up. I swear I'm going to change. So they get back together. And, and for a few, few months, I think it legitimately did get better. But then, then he started getting verbally abusive again. And it, and it started becoming a pattern that continued. And, I, and, and now they ended up actually splitting up. But the thing that I, as I think about that, the thing that I realized 
was he hated the consequence that his sin caused him. He hated the fact that it caused his relationship to be on the rocks. He hated the fact that, you know, it caused that divorce. But I don't know that he actually hated the sin and sin itself because his love for his wife and his love for the Lord didn't, did not cause him to actually end up changing the behavior. He just, every time he was hit with the consequences, he would change real quick, and then he would end up going back into it. So I think one of the questions is if you're really wanting to be transformed and you're really wanting to change, do you, do you actually hate the sin itself? And how that offends the Lord, how that hurts the people around you, or do you just hate the consequence that you have to deal with when it comes up? Because that's not the same thing. So admit, still a problem, continue to do that. Always be asking yourself when you get in trouble, am I just hating this consequence or, or do, I, do I actually hate it itself? Um, here's another thing. I heard this actually, I didn't, think of, I didn't think of this, I heard this from a pastor and he was talking about Deuteronomy 7. And in Deuteronomy 7, Moses tells the Israelites, hey, why, why did God love you? Like, he didn't love you because, and this is, this is a paraphrase, this is not, not reading, it's not exactly how it is in the Bible. He didn't love you because you guys were just that awesome. He didn't love you because you were the greatest nation. In fact, it was probably the opposite. He loved you. You, you had nothing to offer him. And he cast his love upon you. And so this pastor says, do you, do you see how circular this is? And what he means was, God was saying to Israel, I love you because I love you, because I love you, because I love you. I don't love you because of how you service me. I don't love you because of what I'm benefiting from it. That's, a, that's different. So then he goes on, this is his words. Then he goes on to say, husbands, someday, your wife's going to come to you, and she's going to say, do you love me? And he says, now be careful. Be careful in how you respond, because everything's on the line. He, and then he goes, if you respond with, uh, of course you're going to say, yes, of course I love you. And then she's going to say, why? And then that's when he said, be careful, because how you respond, everything's on the line. So... He's like, now, if you sit there and you say, because you're beautiful, because you have a great figure, I love you because we have great chemistry, I love you because you have a wonderful job that contributes financially to our family and it relieves a burden off of me. Uh, if you respond with any of those things, and he literally goes, if she's stupid, she'll like those answers. If she thinks about it, she's not going to. Because basically, all of those things that you name as reasons why you love her can change. She might not be as beautiful 40 years down the road. I mean, probably. But she might not. She might not have the same figure. Probably. But maybe not. What if she loses her job? All, all of the reasons that he was giving in the example that, that he named 
were, I love you because this is how you serve me. This is how you're serviceable to me. And this pastor went on to say, that's not love. That's not. I, I love you because I love you. Because I love you. Now, granted, I know that there are things that attract us to our wives. Uh, but then you get to that place in your relationship where it's not, I, I'm with you because you serve me. But it's, it transitions into I love you because I love you because I love you because I love you. And that's the kind of love that God has. And so when you encounter that and when you experience that, being able to return that. And so here, here's the thing. Here's the other thing. In your relationship with the Lord, and when you say, I love the Lord, do you love God because of what he can give you, because of how he's servicing you, or do you just love him because you love him, because you love him, because you love him? Because what if he doesn't? So, because that's not the same kind of thing. So many times you, you can get in your relationship with the Lord and you can ask something for him or from him and, and you can say, Lord, I need you to do this for me and I want this and I want that and blah, 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 blah. And are you loving God because how he's servicing your needs and how he's making your life convenient or do you love him just because you love him? Because when you get to that kind of love, I think, I think that's when some of the grips of of sin start being re- removed from your life because you you love him <laughs> and and you want to serve him and you want to and you want to please him and because he did that for you and you don't love him just because of what he can give you and you don't just want his stuff and all right so Continue to admit it's a problem. Even I forgot my points. Must be a great sermon. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Hold on. Let me just double check I'm right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Continue to admit it's a problem. Hate the sin, not just the consequence of it. Love the Lord because you love him, not because of what he can do for you. And here's the last thing. I think you've really got to understand grace. And I'm going to try to tell you a story without completely losing it, but it's probably not going to happen. Um, I grew up in church. I knew, I know all the lingo. And I, so many times we can come in here and we can say all the words. And you can almost become inoculated to it. Because they're just, wor- I mean, you just, I mean, maybe if, maybe it was just me, but you just hear them over and over and over and over again. So you're just, they just become words and they, they, they lost their meaning. The first time I think I realized that was a friend who had just gotten saved and somebody said the, the term victory in Jesus. And I saw his face light up because he heard the term victory, for G- victory in Jesus for the first time in his life and the depth and the meaning of that hit him. And I saw his face and I was like, when I hear that, I just think of a corny old song and Vic dancing down here. <laughs> it, 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 it lost its meaning. So, it's one thing to 
be able to tell, I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody in this room could go, if I were to ask you, you could tell me what grace is. You could tell me what it meant. It's one thing to know it in your, in your, in your head, and it's a completely different thing to grasp it in your heart. Here's how that happened for me. So when I was in seventh grade, uh, I went to middle school. I had to walk home every day. It was uphill both ways. And so in the process of walking home right behind the school, me and my friends, me and one of my friends, he lived right there at the school on on the other side of his fence backing up to the school. We built a fort. And it was awesome. It, like, was all natural. There was all these trees. We carved tunnels in there. We stole desks from the school and made offices. And, like... (laughs) It was like a seventh grader's heaven. And one day, something happened. And I'll tell you what, if you want to know what it was, I'll tell you. But it's, I just don't want to, I want to talk about grace and not glorify the sin. But something happened that sent me down a spiral for a long time. So years later, so I always remembered, like, if you could go back and change one thing about your life, I thought back to that day in seventh grade, man, if I could just not have done that, that would be great. So one night, I was having a dark night of the soul, most fun you never want to have again. And I used to get up and I used to go for walks at night, and back where we lived, you could either walk to the, I'd either go to the Catholic Church or the Baptist Church. I was, you know, I hit both ways, whatever. So at the Catholic Church, there was a statue of Jesus as a shepherd, and he was holding the sheep. I didn't go to that one that night because I think Caleb had just made fun of me for liking a statue or something. So I went to the Baptist Church. The Baptist Church was right by the school I went to. So sometimes I would I'd go there often, and there was a pew outside, and the church is over 100 years old. So sometimes when I just needed comfort, I would go. I would sit at this place, and I would think about, I wonder what the Lord's done here in the last 100 years. Who, I mean, who are, what, if the building could talk, what would be the stories that it would tell of the people's lives that have been changed by the Lord? I, and I would just sit there, and I would think about that, and, I, and it would comfort me. So then one night, I was just really struggling. That sin that I'd had in my life had ended. The behavior, I'd gotten control. Behavior had stopped, but I still didn't understand grace. Still didn't, still struggled with shame from it. So one night, I was just sitting there dwelling on that, thinking about that. Went on that walk, sat at that pew. And something inside of me just started screaming and said, I want you to get up and I want you to walk back to where that stupid, probably didn't say stupid, but walk back to where that stupid fort was. I was like, why do I want to go there? I hate that place. 
I don't ever want to see it again for the rest of my life. And the voice just wouldn't die. I mean, I think it was the Holy Spirit just talking to me. So fine, I said, fine, I'll go. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning. I get up and I start walking. And it's maybe two, 300 yards away, not that far. So I walk past the track, walk past the playground, come to this new building, walk around the corner of the new building to go see. I don't know why. just felt like I was supposed to go see where this fort was. And as I walk around the corner and I looked, the fort was gone. And not only that, I don't know who did this, I don't know how it happened, but somebody had come in and completely landscaped that whole area and then made it a garden. <laughs> I think it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And it was in that moment, grace was not just a head thing. I think I fell to my knees and wept. But for the first time in my life, I saw a place that had just been full of shame and guilt. And it had become beautiful. For the first time in my life, I understood grace. So, my last question is I know you understand grace in your mind, but do you grasp it with your heart? And is it driving you to change? Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for everything that you've done for me. I pray that you will continue to give me the strength to be transformed into your likeness, and not just me, but everybody else here this morning. It's in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.